Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Oh, boy, do we have a very interesting guest on the show today. You know, I love Animals to the Max because over our 200 plus episodes, I've been able to talk to people who have had amazing animal encounters, people who have had encounters with their dream animals, people who have studied amazing animals in the wild and have had these life-changing encounters that have inspired them to do greater work and just amazing things around the world regarding conservation. I'll tell you what, though, this encounter that I'm going to talk to my guest today about is a little bit different because this encounter is absolutely terrifying. I don't think I've ever had anyone on the show that has had more of a terrifying animal encounter. And I'm not trying to villainize animals. I'm not trying to make you terrified of them, but I'm just letting you know, like, I personally think this would just, I mean, honestly, I'd probably pee my pants if this happened to me. On the show, we have author Paul Wyack. And he had a great white shark encounter with a 20-foot great white shark. I could not even imagine what this would be like. And Paul comes on the show and describes that encounter diving off the coast of California and literally being face-to-face with a 20-foot great white shark. You know, it's one of those things where, and you'll hear me in the interview tell Paul, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for sharks. I absolutely love sharks. I always love telling people like you're more likely to be killed by a coconut than killed by a shark. You're more likely to be killed by a cow. Like, you know, a shark attack is very, very rare. And it's interesting to actually talk to Paul because he literally was almost eaten alive and I'm so happy Paul is alive and I'm so happy he was able to survive an encounter face to face with a great white shark. So it was uh, a very interesting conversation and Paul is just a great storyteller and he really takes you into the scene. He really sets the stage for that encounter with a great white shark. So listeners, I know you will enjoy this. As always, I do encourage you to rate and review the show. When you rate and review the show, it just, uh, you know, honestly, it only takes like, I don't know, 30 seconds to give us a five star and a comment. We'd love to hear your favorite episode, but it basically pushes this podcast out to more people who are interested into animals. So uh, it definitely helps the show out. I also encourage encourage you to check out the after show to listen to the full interview with Paul and I. I uh, also, you know, have some other questions I wanted to ask him. So check that out. All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. Now, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about the elephant in the room before we get to Paul's interview. Um, if you are a regular listener of the animals to the max podcast, you'll know that we are not releasing as many episodes as I used to. I used to release an episode every single week. So that was, you know, four shows a month. And to be completely honest, it started getting just a little overwhelming. Uh, right now, we are focused on creating so much content for my YouTube channel, for TikTok, for Instagram Reels. We are filming every day. We're editing. And on top of that, I'm also taking care of my 
30 plus rescued animals. And it is, I'm going to be honest, it is a lot. So we have decided to, I mean, because I still love this podcast. I still love being able to talk to great guests like Paul and, you know, people around the world. We are still going to continue to do the Animals to the Max podcast, but instead of releasing an episode every week, we're going to be focusing on releasing one every other week. So two a month would be my goal. I'm going to be honest. It's a lot. We, uh, I live and breathe producing content and our, our videos are, uh, they're, they're just pretty time consuming. And I absolutely love this new direction where my career is going, focusing on YouTube. And I absolutely love it. I still love this podcast. Don't worry. The show will continue. We just won't be doing as many shows. With that said, let's talk about sharks. Paul, welcome to the show. Good morning, Corbin. How are you doing? Good. And I'm a little nervous. Well, actually, when you first got on Skype, I was happy to see that you have both hands. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and they all work. Yeah. Every, I, finger, every finger's here. Yeah. I've never, like, ever, like, you know, paid, you know, close attention to a podcast guest hands. But I was like, oh, man, I should really, like, pay attention to Paul's. Wow. Well, welcome. Uh, welcome to the show. I am really excited to talk to you. I know you have a new book out called Why Am I Alive, which I feel like is such a good title for a book. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, it really is emblematic of the not only the uh, shark attack story, but there's two other stories that uh, that are just as compelling. Yeah, I just, this is so rare, and I always, like, I love sharks. Actually, can I ask you right now, do you still like sharks after being attacked by a shark? They grab my attention like nothing else. I can say that about them. Um, and there's an efficiency and a um, power that they possess that nothing else in the ocean does. Yeah. And that, and that intrigues me every time I see one. I cannot take my eyes off it. Well, I don't blame you, but and it's, well, so I usually like, I love sharks and every year during shark week, I'm always doing posts on social media. Like you're more likely to be killed by a cow than attacked by a shark or more likely to be hit in the head by a coconut. And yet I'm talking to somebody who unfortunately got the, the very rare odds of being attacked by a shark. What, what happened? Can you set the story? Can you let the audience know? Are you an experienced diver? Yes. Um, this story transpired in the um, early 80s. Mm -hmm. And coming from Wisconsin, land of lakes right there, always in water, every single moment I could be. Then my dad's source of employment transfer, transfers us to Santa Barbara, California. And I saw the Pacific Ocean, the biggest lake there, there ever was. And I, I've been in it ever since. So from swimming to surfing to diving to kayaking to fishing, all the way down the line, uh, I decided I better um, move into something that gets me in the water. So I became uh, a commercial fisherman. Well, first I became a commercial diver mm -hmm. through the marine tech program at Santa Barbara City College, studied to be under underwater welder and had a career ending um, injury, surgery to my ear. So I became a commercial fishing uh, diver out of the Santa Barbara Harbor. Okay. And did you commonly see sharks in that area? We we did out, out at the Channel Islands. Um, but we didn't see, as I like to refer to it, as the landlord of the sea. We didn't see many great whites because if you saw a great white, you usually wanted to clear out. 
But we saw all the other types, blue shark, soup fin, mm-hmm. what have you. Um, and, uh, and typically what we would do is take off from Santa Barbara and motor our way out to San Miguel Island, which is the westernmost island. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was in the industry, the other islands had been sort of worked over. And to get to some good fishing grounds, mm-hmm. we needed to get out to San Miguel. And we dove a place that I talk about in the book. That's called Shark Park. Oh, man. That's at the western end and had lots of sea urchins. Um, but that was for a reason. Everything was big in Shark Park. The lobsters, the <laughs> everything in Shark Park was big because not many people went there. Okay. Okay, so how long were you working on the boat until this attack happened? Like, was this years and years, or? No, it was only it was within the first year of being a uh, a sea urchin diver. You, um, a sea urchin diver. So, were you collecting sea urchins for people to eat? Yes, yes. We oh. we would collect the sea urchins, bring them back, and most of them were uh, sold overseas in Japan, which they call them uni. So we are also known as uni divers oh my god have you ever eaten a sea urchin before oh yeah really yeah. oh yeah you gotta try them oh They're awesome. i'm not a huge seafood person paul but can no you... you're not no well, give me i'm sorry well, that might be tough on you yeah are, are, are they <laughs> salty mush um oh. some people like consider it um the the uh eggs or gonads they consider it like uh like caviar the gonads they eat the sexual organs oh and they they give you a spark from what i'm told i didn't eat enough of them but oh my gosh people are crazy okay yeah wow yeah i you know sea urchins and they're a problem too because they like destroy a huge numbers of them like destroy the kelp forest and all that type of good stuff so i mean not good stuff but uh they can be problematic for sure so interesting i didn't realize there was such a demand for sea urchins Yes, yeah, and in, in America they're selling uh, a lot more, um, but Japan's the main buyer. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yes. What does it yeah, taste like? Uh, rich, salty mush. And oh uh, my I, gosh, Paul, how could you say that's good? With with a, a fishiness that you wouldn't believe. Oh. If you if you enjoy sushi, Mm-mm. pay attention to me, not Corbin. Okay, it's awesome. Really. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tasty stuff. And for I mean, I didn't appreciate it when I was younger. Now that I'm older, maybe my taste buds have dulled enough to really okay. get into it. And f- yeah. for listeners, maybe who've never heard of a sea urchin, can you describe these prickly things? Sure, sure. Uh, they're they're also known as hedgehog of the sea. Oh, that's a great they're, uh, They got uh, all these uh, spines that uh, the best ones are about four inches I'd say as far as the uh, shell diameter and then the spines are another couple three inches and um, and their dark purple is the ones that are the most and most delicious and edible and uh, the ones that you're talking about the the sea urchins that are doing the most destruction are the smaller uh, bright purple ones that are light light purple those are those are uh, very destructive even they even kill the big purple ones that people like to eat. 
Really? Big dark purple ones. Yeah, they they invade and get underneath them, lift them up, and and take them out because uh, they're competition. So they're they're so they're a different species of sea urchin. Yeah, yeah. There's there's quite a few different types, and I do not have the name of the ones that are most uh, desirable, but uh, it's a long scientific name. But yeah, no there's, worries. Uh, starts with an E, and um, it. The dark purple ones, though, are the ones that that are the best. And inside the row is uh, bright yellow is the, the most flavorsome. Okay. Okay. Sorry, listeners. I'm going down a rabbit hole. Welcome to the Sea Urchin Podcast with Paul <laughs> Wyack. Okay. Sorry about okay. that. Okay. Well, I just wanted to set the stage. So you're hired. You are a commercial fisherman, and you are diving for sea urchins. Yes. Yes. And uh, we're heading out to um, on a foggy day fog cover over the whole Santa Barbara Channel. But San Miguel Island, which often is the case, is completely engulfed. So diving in, plunge is pretty eerie. Uh, you can't see anything. And we have to slow down to you know, like around five, six knots. And we're just putting along because we can only see 30 feet in front of ourselves. Okay. And uh, we end up going by this huge... Uh, rock that's called castle rock it sticks up 140 feet and it sort of feels like it's gonna jump on the boat and we put into this area that's right adjacent to a area that's it's called graveyard of the ships oh my god and uh and, and over all the years obviously it earned its name with a lot of shipwrecks and i've always pondered being right next to shark park how many of these survivors from the shipwreck were swimming to land and experience a death before drowning is my question I ask in the book. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite the area. Um, there it's sharky water has an element that no other water has. It's a, it's a fall off to mystery that continues, um, on around. It seems like every corner and as there's, as we came in that day in the fog-covered area of Shark Park, we we went to go look, and um, the skipper of the vessel took off and had a horrible time. We went a day earlier than advised to by our privately hired uh, meteorologist, a local guy, and uh, we took a chance, and we were paying for it. There was no visibility, and it was horrible, and so... The normal hunter gave up and throwing his gear around and said, go ahead, take a look if you want, which was job opportunity. If I, with this job opportunity, was able to do it well, it would definitely lead to a, a bigger share of, of the catch. So off I went, scooting around the murky uh, how, waters. How, 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 how deep is this water, Paul? It goes anywhere from, uh, I'd say, 30 feet to 70, 80, 90 feet um, throughout this this area that we we refer to as Shark okay. Park. And you have to go all the way down to the bottom and collect the sea urchins. Correct. So I'm scooting around, going down, looking through the murky water, trying to locate a kelp bed, so I can um, so I can get to work, um, trying to find some urchins, as you said. They like to hang around kelp beds and they don't eat just kelp. They eat, you know, moss and what have you on rocks. And 
Is it? Uh, allergies. And you said it's like really murky. Like how murky is this water? Is it pretty like where you can't see in front of you type of thing? It it, it varies. There's like clouds of murk. Oh. And, uh, so we're going from 10 to 2 feet with a, with a surge of swell. And uh, I'm getting thrown around, you know, just getting bounced from here to there pretty quickly. And I go wandering into what I like to call is a is a an enclosure of 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 seaweed and at that point my life changed and uh that was the uh the moment this the situation got really really real and uh it is quite an endeavor to describe um in the detail it deserves so I I'm hoping that at that moment I can get your listeners to say, I need to know what happens. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Yes, at that point, I saw a shark as big as they get when it comes to great whites. Oh and, uh, but there was um, an enclosure. Things were limited. And uh, the book is called Why Am I Alive? And I still ask my question. I ask myself that question every day. And uh, there's answers in this book after thinking this out for 30, 40 years that have come to light over all the nightmares, over all the contemplations, over all the different considerations, I, um, I'm able to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So you have to like, so you're okay. So it's dark, it's murky. Do you, I mean, when you first go in, are you nervous about sharks or do you feel like, oh, it's going to be so like the chances of me being attacked are so rare? No, we're in the park as we called it. We didn't call the it shark, shark park. park. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we would just call it the park to keep our uh, machismo up and okay. uh, yeah, we're going to go in the park. So I knew where I was and I knew I had seen um, plenty of, um, plenty of action. Okay blips out of the corner of your eye things that you knew the odds are very strong that it could be the landlord and you're just hoping it's uh a big sea lion or somebody else oh swimming by that that sounds terrifying um were there other people that you worked with who were attacked by sharks or what was the whole track record like for this commercial fishing company i am so glad you asked that corbin because Thanks, I have, I, <laughs> there is, um, there's a, a gentleman, um, who has since passed away, but his name is Bob Kirby and he invented the Kirby Morgan dive mask, which mm -hmm. is still in use today. But before this, he invented, um, uh, before this helmet was invented, he was using what's called a hard hat, it, that old heavy metal with the four ports, mm -hmm. um, have you ever seen one of those, Corbin, those big metal helmets and it has four ports? It's I've... really old. It has big breastplate. The thing screws on like oh, a bottle man. cap. Okay. So anyway, Bob's working with in, in heavy gear, we call it. And it's so heavy that if you fall over, as you have uh, uh, lead-weighted boots also that they used to use to keep your feet on the bottom, uh -huh. they would pound pitons in and uh, so to support themselves. So... That if uh, a swell started pushing you, the 
if you fell over, you couldn't get up sometimes. Mm -hmm. So they would have these ropes pounded in. And back then he was working a big, we would call it a slab of abalone. They didn't do just one. They would do a whole like circle, like a five foot circle and work an edge and get this whole chunk of mounded abalone Mm-hmm. onto a net that was laying on the bottom and the 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 top um top side crew would hoist it up mm-hmm. so bob's working this large slab of abalone and, and what are abalone for listeners oh i'm sorry abalone are uh, in the snail family so you know escargot of the sea mm-hmm. only it's it's very large uh compared to a snail it's uh the the big ones i think the limit is around eight inches If you can even commercially fish them anymore, but uh, they're like uh, they call them chicken of the sea, but it tastes way better than chicken for a for a seafood man. Mm -hmm. But they're a a big hard shell, uh, basically a snail that crawls around on the bottom, Mm -hmm. and they don't crawl fast. They just barely move and and eat all kinds of different um, growth, and they're a big mollusk. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so these abalone are all piled up about three feet high in a five foot um, diameter circle and Bob is working away at getting this big chunk of maybe 20 or 30 abalone onto this net mm-hmm. and uh, a fun little fact for some people is Bob really really was on the ground floor of uh, surface to diver communications and he was experimenting with it on this dive um, there's a lot of different people that get credit for it, but Bob was using it, and um, he's talking to the crew, telling them, yeah, I've almost got this chunk of abalone. I'm going to load it on the net. And uh, all of a sudden, the topside crew was you know, communicating, okay, okay. And then all of a sudden, they go, Bob, Bob, there's a big fish up here. Oh, Bob, we're talking big. And at that point, Bob was you know, ocean gladiator. I call myself mighty man of the sea. He just goes, what fish? Ah, and was tough guy in this situation. Like, ah, I'm not scared of no fish. So anyway, they go, Bob, Bob, it's coming down. It's coming down to you. And uh, and he says, okay, where? And there's four ports, like I said, on this big, heavy metal helmet. Mm-hmm. And he starts looking, and he's not seeing anything. And then all of a sudden, over his left shoulder, he says this the shark starts swimming by and he said it looked like a conveyor belt of shark. It just goes shark, 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 and just kept going. And his ocean gladiator voice turned to whimpering child and said, I'm coming up, I'm coming up. Yeah. And he went to go untie one of the ropes and he did. And he looked up and he, this massive, he, he, there's, Lots of discussions, and and I'm not sure exactly how long, but in my book, my shark was right in the 20 foot range. Oh my and god! That's, and that's what Bob had told me at a time or two. Anyway, this massive shark starts doing this big U-turn in this beautiful, crystal clear visibility, and comes floating up to him as he's trying to untie the second rope and stops like, like where Bob said, I could have reached out and touched the teeth. Oh. And, uh, and he says they're massive teeth, five, six inch teeth with oh seal skin stuffed up in between them. 
like dental, like stuck dental floss. And uh, Bob's staring at it, just can't believe what he's facing. He's waiting for death to clamp down any second. And uh, and then the shark swims off in a in a in a flurry off to his right. And he starts talking about coming back up. I'm coming back up. And he can't get this rope undone. Oh. And and he's sitting there working on it, working on it. And then he says he gets an eerie feeling. And he starts looking everywhere he can. And in this heavy gear, it's this very heavy breastplate, shoulder pad type of situation. And you can turn around in there. And Bob turns around in the back port window is this shark the same distance staring at him from behind. Oh. And he just just his knees are going and uh and he and he turns back around and again waits for a life ending clamp which doesn't come a shark does the same swim by oh over his God. left shoulder and starts doing and now if you study these things corbin they are rarely if ever full they just they eat and when they get <laughs> that big they're hungry again and if they don't eat they practice eating by making you know attacks happen and practice their their craft so as this giant shark is doing the u-turn in front of him again like 70 80 feet away bob said he yells to the top side that i'm coming up take up all the slack and in these dry suits is an exhaust valve and an intake and he turns off uh, the exhaust and he turns on the intake and he starts blowing up like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah. And he's about 30 feet down and he takes his dive knife and he cuts that rope because he couldn't get the knot undone. And he, sh as the shark's closing in again, he shoots up like a cork and they reel up all the slack. And as he popped in the air, they yank him on the boat and he lands on the boat and oh my uh, God. he never dove again this is the inventor of a dive mask I, you know i don't blame bob i mean it's it's that's terrifying i yeah. when you describe the story and you what really got me is when you were saying you could see you know seal skin just wedged in between the teeth of the massive you know teeth of this you know great whites five six inch long teeth i mean that's just Whew, that is a, yeah. that would be a life changer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, so when you, so I'm kind of going back to your attack story when you yeah. are in the kelp. So you said you were like in, or in, in like a seaweed fence. What does that mean? Like, were you just like completely like covered with seaweed? Does that make like, I'm trying to get a whole visual here. Um, a cul-de-sac, a deep cul-de-sac of, of sorts um, okay. on a street if you're driving in okay. just imagine instead of houses and or where the sidewalk is would be walls of of kelp oh so okay but you're kind of out in the open but all you have are walls of kelp around you yes yes that's not that's that that was the scene okay that uh, set the stage for the uh the scariest moments of my life did you feel like something was behind you or did you get a glimpse of the shark or like how fast did this happen? Cause 
Paul, I've been attacked by animals before. Nothing, nothing to what has gone through you. But like I've, for instance, been bit by alligators before and it happens so lightning fast. Like it happened. One of my females almost took off my middle finger and it, it happened so fast that it was just like, oh my God, like I, I honestly didn't see it coming. So with your experience, do you see the shark first? Do you feel something watching you? Like, take me in. The visibility was getting better as I went into this situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the visibility cleared, Mm -hmm. I saw the, 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 the monster um, in the back of this area. And there he was. And instantaneously, um, as I say in the book, I went from the hunter to the hunted in the blink of an eye. Um, okay. So you see this shark. What is your first reaction? Are you just, can you, does your body go, does adrenaline just surge through your veins? Like I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I felt like, uh, how do I describe it in the book? I feel like, uh, someone turned on all the lights in a modern football stadium on at once. And that was coming out of me. That's what it felt like. Um, I've never felt nothing close to it. I know I never will again. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, a surge of survival adrenaline that, uh, is, is, uh, unmatched in my life. And I can't imagine it, um, ever being so. Yeah. What is your first reaction though? Are just to get up? I mean, that would be mine first reaction. Um, I mean, just to, to get out of there, but I mean, how, 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 how deep are you underwater? At this point, um, probably about 40 feet okay. and, uh, um, a, an about face with a, with a scooter is described in the book mm-hmm. and the chase was on and, uh, the miracle escape, um, is, it, it really is. It goes beyond, uh, it's so hard to describe over the years yeah. Robin, that I, I know that it will be um, too hard to describe in our, in our short podcasts, mm-hmm. but it, it still does. It still fascinates me in, 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 in the unexplainable realm mm-hmm. that took place where, uh, but I can tell you this, the shark's mouth was wide open and expected to feel the plunging teeth sinking into its victim. So that did, I know. Do you have, did it actually bite you? It did not. It did not. So you escaped. No. That's why you I have, did. that's why you have all of your, uh, all of your digits. Yep. And, uh, if there would have been anything missing, I'd be missing because this thing, um, was starving in my mm, novice, but, you know, mm-hmm. I studied them for years, um, mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, we were diving in a, the first day that was anywhere near available with a month-long swath of storms. Mm-hmm. So just as, you know, there's no diving d- being done, these animals, they're not eating typically during big stormy situations because mm-hmm. a lot of stuff is – just like just like humans are staying uh, landlocked and or 
um, steering clear of problematic um, situations with swell and and all the different storms that take place underwater. So the underwater world was starving. Man, we showed up. That yeah, so. Wow, that is just how can you. So people say sometimes if you are attacked by a shark or experts say to like pop it on the nose, is that something you did? No, no, there was no way you're going to do that to a a massive shark like that because their mouth is open wider than you can reach. You're never going to be able to pop one of those sharks in the mouth. Yeah, just it's too much mouth. There's um, you can maybe hit a tooth, Uh but uh. They have so many, and they have a conveyor belt of teeth. Yeah. That uh, great whites just have this this constant flow of teeth that are working through their mouth. So yeah, there's no way you're going to be able to uh, to punch one or or not not when they're that big. But that's what I would do with if it was a smaller shark. Yeah. Uh huh. So they not... have this uh, uh, sensory system that's right under their nose. Uh huh. Uh huh. That. Um, you know, they, there's studies, there's, there's, there's things that say that it's not, um, not beneficial, but mm-hmm. in my opinion, from what I've seen underwater and how they act and react, I would say that that's what I would try. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. can you, okay. And I know you don't want to give too much away with your book. I totally understand that, but you have to give me some, like, so <laughs> you see this 20 foot shark Paul, you have to give me something. You have me on this this line. I, did. I thought I did. No, but it's like, <laughs> I, how do you escape this? This is terrifying. And did you see your life flash before your eyes? I like, thought, uh, let's see, what did I yell? I yelled, no freebies, like a little child. <sighs> and I thought for sure that was going to be the last words that were going to ever come out of no me. Why did you say no freebies? Just Because I, want, I tried to kick at it as I yeah. was going um, away from it. Yeah. And I couldn't take my eyes off it. And, uh, so as I prepared to Uh kick, Uh I, uh, I yelled that out and, uh, and then you got to get the book Carmen from that split second. Okay. It's impossible to describe accurately. It just happened. It's a, it's a, a miraculous, it's, it's miraculous escape. That's all I know for sure. Uh huh. the the rest is just it it, it really would um, be impossible to describe accurately enough in a in a conversation. Uh-huh. Truly would I I've told the story over the years and uh-huh. I've had my friends and family um, start crying uh-huh. um, after reading it because uh-huh. they listened to the story. But they never knew the story mm-hmm. uh, to the point that uh, it uh, it took them took them underwater. As as uh, many of my um, reviews are coming back saying, mm-hmm. I felt like I was with you. Yeah, with that situation. Man, well, you are. Uh, do you just? I mean, you escape, and are you just so happy to be alive? What is your first thought when you just ex- you escape this 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 near attack from a great white? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it took the whole thing took about ten minutes to get out of the water, and then from that point on, um, <laughs> I talk about in the book how I I didn't sleep for more than ten minutes without 
erupting into nightmares where I was being eaten over and over again. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep at all. I, I'd pass out sweaty, like playing basketball mm-hmm. and, um, and mm. then erupt. I talk about how I, I kept erupting and, uh, I got moved out to the deck of the boat out in the fog and the, in the cold, my my bags getting soaking wet, and I'm thinking, this is what it feel like to be inside the stomach of that thing, you know. Oh. And uh, yeah, it it goes into some pretty uh, amazing detail about that night, and then what happened the next day. Because if I didn't go diving the next day, my career was over. I was told that you had I, to go diving the next day in the same spot. What? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Paul, this is when you have a change. This is when, you know, you know those things when, I don't know if you believe in this, but when the universe gives you signs or whoever you believe gives you signs, God, the universe, whoever you believe in, it's like, Paul, no, no way. And you go back in the next day in the same spot? I did. What? I did. did. And, uh, yes, I know. I, um, that was, uh, that probably cemented in, um, a pathway in my life that never changed because I relived the attack underwater so many times. I, by the time I got out of the water that next day, I felt like I'd been eaten and spit back up and eaten again so many times that, uh, I actually, um, had a big, uh, big metamorphosis change in my life on, my existence and um it it uh carries through the book and talks about how the next stories that transpire actually all come together in a an amazing journey um during my during my diving career i would have a straight up panic attack paul going back in the next day after almost being eaten by a great white i was waiting for it i i was actually waiting to be eaten again i uh i i believed what i was told by the um by the skipper of the boat which was i've seen this before and if you don't go you're done it's like getting on a bike again they say right if you get back on oh man so back in i went and um i ended up uh it changed the direction of my life I yeah I would have chosen a new uh, a new career path with that yeah. said but that is uh, wow Paul thank you so much for coming on the show uh, listeners if you want to get the book Why Am I Alive by Paul Wyack uh, I'm assuming Paul this is on Amazon or they can get it online where would you like to direct listeners I would like to direct them to um, Why Am I Alive Book dot com got it and. We're going to be launching the book. It will be available, we're hoping, in early June. Mm-hmm. Maybe as early as uh, the first weekend in June. Okay. So is it okay to stay in touch? I'll let you know yes, for sure. Yes, please. The yes. launch date. Yes. And I, and I feel uh, it will be worth your time uh, yeah. reading not only this story, yeah. but the other two. The other two, uh, if you ask me and, and, and uh, uh, people I've shared with and mm-hmm. have read the book, Mm-hmm. And asked me, how did this all really keep happening? Mm-hmm. That's why I named it Why Am I Alive? 
and each one of them said the stories actually grow in intensity. Wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. So well, I, I look forward to you reading it. Corey, yes. And uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, exciting. I hope I hope maybe you could have me back on. After yeah. We, we could go through the the ocean gladiator details. Yeah, <laughs> ab- absolutely, Paul. Well, listen, I actually want to invite you on really quick for the after show to ask you a few other questions. Um, if you want to join me for a few minutes and audience, all you have to do to listen to the after show is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max to get the full interview. But with that said, Paul, let's go to the after show. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.